0: This Augusta golf show podcast is brought to you by Audi Augusta online at AudiAugusta.com. Well, Gary player is a member of the world golf hall of fame, nine time major champion, six time major champion on the PGA tour champions. It's always a pleasure. Always a great pleasure to welcome Gary player back to the Augusta golf show. How are you doing Gary?
1: I'm doing very, very well. Just a, A little bit sad that uh, we're not playing in Augusta this week. It's uh, not only, you know, from playing point of view, but if you think of Augusta, the town of Augusta, the beautiful little homes and the nice people, so many of these people, you know, help pay their mortgages this week. And the town, you know, takes in tens of millions uh, of dollars. And now nothing takes place. But fortunately, there are a lot of other tournaments like Wimbledon, Uh, the British Open, people that have cancelled their events. We're still going to play Augusta in November. It's going to be quite different playing on Bermuda grass at a different time of the year. But Augusta is such a beautiful place, such a well-run tournament that uh, it's going to be great and people will still come. And this is the other thing from Augusta, is people come from all over the world, people you've known for 20 30 40 years we'll all get together there the champions dinner which is probably the greatest evening of the year for a golf pro but it'll still take place
0: you know i found it interesting you you agree with something that i've thought You're, in november it's going to be bermuda isn't it
1: yes and uh, if i remember correctly when we first played uh, uh, it was bermuda yeah and uh, one thing about bermuda you can you can spin the ball a little bit more than you can um, off uh, you know, uh, a wintry grass mm-hmm. or whatever grass they decide to use. Augusta, you've got to be careful what, what name you give the grass in Augusta because they change so many things <laughs> in Augusta overnight. In fact, you've got to be careful of the holes. You This year, there might be a different hole. Yeah, might be. Like number, if, you, if you look at number eight, how many times has hole number eight changed? This is what people don't realize. It's changed time and time and time and time again.
0: Um, I think I know you well enough to know that that sitting around not doing a whole lot is not is not how you live your life. How how are you doing with all of this?
1: Well, I'm a very busy person, and I the reason I'm so fit at eighty four is that I keep moving. You know, I don't take elevators if, uh, in a building unless it's ridiculously high. Uh, in airports, I don't take escalators. I go to the gym all the time. I try not to overeat. I try and undereat if anything It's not easy to do. But I'm always moving and traveling to different countries. I was on my way to India uh, to open a design golf course that we'd done. I was on my way to Abu Dhabi for a Gary Player Invitational. I had all kinds of appointments in Augusta and, and England. But uh, they've all been postponed. Fortunately for me, they haven't all been canceled. Mm. But no, it, I, I usually go to bed right about 9.30 at night average. And I'm up very, very early, particularly when I was on my farm. I was up, you know, like 5, 5.30. Yeah, I'm sleeping in some mornings until 9 o'clock. <laughs> I'm a great sleeper. And I, I can't believe it. My wife says, I don't believe when I see you getting up at 9 o'clock in the morning. And then I'm watching TV, which I very seldom do. I'm not a beat. I like to watch the news to keep abreast. But last night I went to bed at 1 o'clock watching this TV series, uh, Prison Break. Jeez. Oh, so it, it is a different life, isn't it? But fortunately for me, the neighbor here has a, one of these simulators. Ah. You know, I've never missed, I don't think I've ever missed, since I turned pro in 1953, I don't think I've ever missed a week of golf. One whole week, unless I when I had an operation of some kind, I've missed. Now we're going on three weeks. Luckily, this guy's got a has got a simulator. My daughter's got a gym in her house. She's got a beautiful forest just down the road from her house, like fifty yards from her house. We can go for walks. And I must say this: we she has a large family, and we get together now and we have great discussions. Last night, we watched on her uh, laptop The Last Supper, and it was so nice. We discussed this for an hour. So, you know, things that one normally didn't do. You know, when I was a young man, we had family dinners. We had family time together. It was just Sundays we went to church together. You know, our life has changed. A human being uh, has, has just changed. Everybody's so busy, big cities, stock markets. Rushing here, rushing there, and it's uh, it's really food for thought.
0: We're talking with Gary Player here on the Augusta Golf Show. Yeah, your your daughter confessed to me when we spoke the other day that she has introduced you to to Netflix. Um, <laughs> That's are, right. <laughs> so, are you watching? Are you watching some sort of episodic thing that you got to watch eight or nine of? Because I don't see you sitting through that.
1: You know that the series, I don't know how many they have in the series, but I'm on number 18 last night and I was watching with my, uh, my son, my two son-in-laws, and I said, come on, we got to watch. They said, no way, we go to bed. I just cannot believe what I'd never, ever do that, but these series are, are very, very interesting, they're very exciting, but my goodness me, I can't wait for this lockdown yeah. to get over with, I mean, I must say, I uh, but One must always remember how lucky you are, how lucky you are that you're still living in in a time of the lockdown with food and a family and a motor car if you have to go shopping and a TV. When I've traveled, you know, more miles than any human being that's ever lived now. And I know what's going on in India. And I know what's going on in Africa. You know, five people living in a little box. And I can tell you, they are not going to be contained. They're not going to stay at home. They're not going to stay in that box. they got to get out. And uh, this is so sad. And one must never forget how lucky you are to live in America, the greatest country in the world. You're so blessed. You still have freedom. And you still have, although the freedom is dying quite quickly around the world now, people don't want to let you speak when you want to speak. They knock you down and try to interrupt. But what a great country America is. And I'm so proud to say that my brother, talking about freedom, I've just been given the award of the Freedom, you know, the right. Medal of Freedom from the President Trump, and I'm so honored that's the greatest honor bestowed upon me I've ever had. And I'm so proud because my brother went to war from South Africa to fight with the Americans at 17 years of age. And freedom is something that we had to earn. It's not a gift. You know, it's not luck. Luck is the residue of design. America went to Normandy and Pearl Harbor. And you can go on and on and on in England with with all the things that happened with the war. And they had to earn it. And our youth of America must never forget that and always remember to be very grateful that they live in a country where you have freedom and no socialism.
0: You know, uh, about the Presidential Medal of Freedom, first of all, congratulations on that. Well-deserved. I, I had Annika on a couple of weeks ago, and I asked her, how do you find out about something like that? How does how does that work? And she said to me, and I, I were you there? She said to me, you, you guys were playing golf, and he told you.
1: Yes, he said uh, we were playing golf together. And by the way, Annika uh, Sorenstam really deserves that She's. Been a, a great trooper for for freedom around the world, and has been a world golfer, and such a wonderful lady, and such a wonderful golfer. You see, uh, yes, he did say that. He said, "I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching, I'm reading about what you people do, and I'm thinking about this very strongly." And then you get a nice, beautiful letter and invitation, which is so so nice, and for me. I'd like to be remembered far more not for my golfing prowess. I'd rather be remembered what I tried to do for freedom in South Africa where I lived. And when I first came to America, there was an apartheid system. And in South Africa, we lived in the apartheid system for, for over 40 years. And I saw what happened to me. Uh, she was, I mean, it's, it is so scary. And this is where I'd like to just say that a man like Charlie Sifford, when I first came over here, he wasn't allowed to play. He was not allowed to play in the tour. And I got friendly with him, and I went. I spoke up for him in the PGA, and I also went to his club in Cleveland, Ohio, and played with him and the members, and he always appreciated. And when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, can you imagine this African-American, this wonderful gentleman, asked me as a white South African to induct him into the Hall of Fame. What an honor. These are the things. Lee Elder came to South Africa, to help me put a spoke in the wheel of apartheid and was really had a difficulty here. And I was called a traitor. So one of the things I'd like to have my never not my golfing prowess, a man who tried to change the lives of millions of people. And I've been able to do that with our fund, our charity matches all over in China, where we built aid centers, in South Africa, where we built schools. In America, where we change the lives of people and all over the world. So for me to receive that medal, to be recognized, because, you know, people look at me as a professional golfer. They, they have no idea what my life is like. And understandably, the world is busy and everybody's got their own life to lead. But it's me I've got to worry about. And I'd rather be known for somebody uh, who created freedom and created and had civil rights. Uh, as an example in your life,
0: you you have to know you'll be remembered that way.
1: I hope so. I really hope so because I've I've made an effort. I made a strong effort to. Even I wore black and white pants at the at the British Open on the first tee. Yes, you did. And uh, one of the one of the things that happened, I had a a black golfer in South Africa. We don't call them African uh, people, African-Americans. Right. Anyway, this black golfer, I sponsored him to American. I got him an exemption in Nashville, Tennessee, to play in the tournament. And I had my African-American caddy rabbit. Mm -hmm. And this gentleman from South Africa, his name was Vincent Chabalala. And so I introduced him to rabbit. And rabbit said, hey, man, What's that name you got there? He says, Vincent Chabalala. He says, with a name like that, you ain't no brother of mine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me talk. Let me, I, I want to ask you about some old golf. Uh, be, be, here's why. While you were busy watching Netflix, um, I was watching old Shell's Wonderful World of Golfs. Um, How about that? And, and in, one of the, in, in looking it up, Best I can find, the old version, the original version. You only played in one of those. Um, you played Peter Thompson at Royal Melbourne back in nineteen sixty-two. Do you remember? He beat me. He beat me. So you do remember that
1: very well. But then I also uh,
0: played Sam Sneed. Oh, you did. See, yeah, I Pete- didn't. F- I didn't find a second one. Really?
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was a young man. Can you imagine? And you know, it's, it's debatable. Who the best player ever lived? It's a very debatable issue because how do you make comparisons with different times? Uh, we didn't have jets to travel around with. I traveled to America uh, on a Constellation 40 hours with time changes. Uh, ben Hogan and Sam Sneed had to go to war in the prime of their careers. You know, it's hard. But Sam Sneed is debatably, debatably the best player that ever lived. He's certainly the greatest athlete that golf has ever known. And, you know, Tiger Woods had to build his athletic prowess, and mm-hmm. I had to do that by going to the gym and things like But Sam Sneed was just, he was just Tarzan. He was born Tarzan. But anyway, I'm a young man now, and I'm playing Sam Sneed in the wonderful world of golf, Shell. My goodness! And I'm standing on the practice. Where did you, do you remember? Where did you play it? Down Palm Springs. Okay, all right. He walks by and he uh, he doesn't know that I hear and I hear so well. He says, "Come on, uh, I'm just going to get a few balls so I can uh, beat this young guy and get ready for my next match." And I thought, "Boy, oh boy, I got a message for you, my man." <laughs> anyway, I beat him. Can you imagine? This young man beating Sam Sneed. And of course it was worth about a thousand dollars then, which was a lot of money. Right. So I remember that vividly. Another story I played with Sam Sneed at Greenbrier, which is such a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. And I played thirty six holes with him, uh, the last day, and then we tied in the tournament. And we went and he beat me after seven holes in a sudden death playoff. So we went forty three holes together. <laughs> And I said to him, Mr. Snead, I said, is there anything you can help me with that I can improve in my swing? He said, son, I ain't seen you swing yet. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you know- we lived in different different times then, uh, whereas a guy like Nicholas, who was the greatest gentleman I ever played golf with, he was re- well, largely responsible for me being the third man in history to win the Grand Slam and he wanted to do it and I wanted to do it. He said to me, come on, if you want to do it, come with me and practice in uh, St. Louis and I, Bell Reeve, and I said, Jack, I've got to go to Greensboro, man, I need the money. Yeah. He eventually convinced me that I went there and I won the tournament. So, you know, Jack has has been this great, great sport as far as I'm concerned and my dear friend.
0: You know, I, Speaking of Sneed, Another one that I watched, another shell that I watched was uh, I think it was 1965 and Houston and it was Snead and Hogan. Yes. Uh, now you yes. Play, you you did play with Ben a little, right? Quite a, lot. Let me Quite a ha- lot. So let me let me ask you something about that because for the most part whenever we've seen Ben Hogan swing it's usually been, you know, a video of his swing and they've slowed it down to kind of show us the attributes of his swing. Let me tell you what yes. struck, let me tell you what struck me about watching that wonderful world of golf. Cause I've never really seen him play a round of golf. He went at yes. it. He went at it hard. I was surprised. Yes. I, I know he's a great ball striker, but you know, Sneed was, Sneed was Sneed. Sneed was just languid and, and getting it out there. But Ben went after it hard.
1: Yes, and he's short. If you look carefully, he's swinging. I remember that match like yesterday because I thought, you know, Snead was such an athlete, and as you get older, your swing gets shorter, and I thought Snead would beat him, and his backswing, Ben Hogan's backswing was so short. Mm-hmm. If you look at that again, this short backswing where he was a young man, he had this long, full swing, and he beat Snead, and I remember that like yesterday. I didn't think he would beat Snead.
0: Yes, yeah, Sarazen, Sarazen called it, the, you know, the best ball striking. I mean, Gene said the best he'd ever seen from, from yeah, Hogan. How about that? T. to green. Yes.
1: Um, yes. Uh, yes, I always believed, in my opinion, I always thought that Ben Hogan was the best golfer the world had ever seen. Uh, not necessarily the best scorer because the greens were lousy yeah. and he played with a ball that went 50 yards less than it does today. He played with wooden heads. Uh, I mean, and there's spike marks on the green. They didn't have machines to cut the green short now. They didn't have machines to rake the bunker. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. You know, I mean, how good he was. What would have happened if you gave him today's condition? Oh, man.
0: It's funny that you mention the greens, Gary, because in watching that Shell's Wonderful World of Golf, and those greens, it makes them look like bad putters.
1: <laughs> That's exactly right. And if you look... If you look at some of these shows on TV in those days, you can see how we had to whack the ball. Yeah, we all ja- we all jabbed the putt. Most of us jabbed the putt because you could get some, you could get some uh, authority in your stroke that way. Arnold Palmer, Doug Ford, who won the Masters. You watch all the most, well, of, the best putter that ever lived was Bobby Locke from South Africa, and he had no follow through whatsoever.
0: Well, it seems so like it pe- seems like you had to do it just to keep the grain from eating it up.
1: Well, the grain was very, very severe, particularly when you had a putt into the grain. These young guys playing golf today have no idea, no idea. And it was very interesting whilst on this topic. One of the players who plays the tour from South Africa said to me, well, when you and Jack and Arnold won your tournament, there were only a limited number of really wonderful players. And I said, gee, I said... I'm going to write a list, and I sat down now, and I did this the other day, and I wrote down 75 outstanding players, most of them won majors. I mean, player like Julius Boris, who is the oldest man to ever win a major, won three majors. He won 18 events on the PJ Tour, one of the finest strikers of a ball I ever saw. This guy's never even heard of him. And no. I wrote this list out, and I'm going to be handing it to him when I see him, and I'm going to give him a massive shock.
0: I, I can just—I can see them fighting words for you. If yeah, he, if he's, they, they if, are fighting words. You're right. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I mentioned—I mentioned you're a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame. You were in that very first class. Is—is is that a point of pride to you?
1: It is because, without being conceited or full of pride, which you know one's got to be very careful that. In life, uh, once you lose your humility, uh, I think you're really finished. And there's a fine line between humility and arrogance. Uh, And to be the first group nominated for the first Hall of Fame makes you realize all the hard work that I did and what I achieved is recognized. And why do you want to be recognized? Because it helps young people to play golf. It helps promote the game of golf. Look what happens in this country for golf. That's why I'm so pleased uh, and proud again to get this medal. And the President Trump, who is the best golfer of any president that ever lived, he's a wonderful golfer. He plays golf. He helps promote golf. What does golf do for America? It creates jobs. It helps the economy enormously with golf clubs that are manufactured. If we worked out how many people... Came to America from around the world to play your golf courses, and the money that they spend here, and when they see this great country, they want to invest in this country. So golf, and then golf. There's a television show, a television golf match, a tournament every week, week in television, other than on holidays. And there's always some Americans taking place. You look at Arnold Palmer. Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods, Lee Trevino, Tom Watson, Ben Hogan, Sam Snead, and maybe the best ever, Bobby Jones. What ambassadors they've been for America. You've got roaming ambassadors around the world for years. No other sport can you do this for the period and the length of time that these people have been ambassadors for this phenomenal country.
0: That's a that's a great great point. Um it really is. I uh, So other than your three masters, which if I asked you your favorite masters, you're perfectly, it's perfectly acceptable for you to say, well, I can name three right off the top of my head. Other than those three, <laughs> yeah. what's been your all-time favorite masters?
1: Uh, well, you mean as a spectator?
0: Yeah, just, uh, you know, we're, we're putting your yeah. wins to the side because uh, I'm, I'm assuming you yeah. enjoyed those.
1: Yes, I did immensely. And there's so many. And it's always one thing about Augusta. It's always dramatic. If you go back and remember Art Wall, who most people on the show don't even remember, he was six behind and one. Uh, If you take uh, Jack Nicklaus, uh, I was the oldest man to win Augusta at 42. And I said to my Family, I said, nobody will beat that. You know, nobody at the age of 42 is going to win Augusta. <laughs> and Nicholas comes along at 46 and wins it. Uh, the second oldest major champion in the world ever. And, I mean, it was so exciting. There he was holding the putt at 17 of about 20 foot. And Ballast had a one-shot lead playing 15 as a five-iron to the green. You think he's going to win the Augusta easily, and he knocks it in the water. So you see the old saying about you drive for show and you putt for dough is so true. What wins golf tournaments, not long drives. It's the mind, the power of the mind, which we haven't scratched the surface of, and putting. When you putt well, it makes you feel like Tarzan.
0: So do I I think your answer to that is 1986?
1: I'd have to say that really is, uh, to me... Something and then also, uh, cadding as his young son was doing for him, young Jackie, who's a wonderful young man, cadding for him. I think it was Jackie, it was, was it Jackie? It, it was, was it?
0: yes, yes, it
1: was Jackie, uh, And my mind goes back because you know, I'm 84 and I remember Jack winning, I think, a U.S. Open, and his son Jackie came running out. And There's a wonderful picture in my mind of him walking. Carrying young Jackie, and here they're winning Augusta together. Uh, really, really something. Uh, there's so many wonderful, uh, you know, every time there's so much drama that takes place in Augusta. I know there's just set up for drama. It is the world stage of golf.
0: Before I let you go, and 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 you talked about your legacy and how you think about things. I'm just I'm just kind of curious to get your opinion about what we are all going through right now. Um give me your thoughts about everything that's happening.
1: Well it does one thing. It shows you that the Lord is still the big boss and controls things. Now you can be have cynicism and say, Well, why would he do this uh to the world? But The thing is that we never question, we never question the Lord, but it is very sad, particularly people that are living in very, very poor conditions, and what is so tough is what happens to them, people don't have a job. I was poor, I was very poor, I suffered like a junkyard dog as a young boy from nine years of age, with my mother dying, and my brother going to war, and my... Father working in a gold mine 8,000 feet down. I know what it is to struggle and to see people today with no jobs. they just blessed that they live in America and you can have a system where President Trump and the government got together and they're giving him some money. What happens to most countries like India and, and a lot of countries like that where you're, in, where you're in China where you've got 1.4 billion people? What happens to those poor people? My goodness me! But it's so sad, and but my, you know, being eighty-four, I remember the Hong Kong flu. I think it was nineteen sixty-eight to nineteen seventy. One, uh, one. I think it was one. I don't know. Was it one million people or more? Way more than one million people died of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's way in excess of what's happened here. So life has always been full of tragedies. My heart goes out and bleeds for so many people, people that have died, family members that have died. It's so sad. But life is full of adversity. You know, you think of all the deaths that happened, and I've experienced a lot of death in my family with cancer. I just spoke to a man the other day who lives in uh, North 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 Carolina. I got a message from him, and his wife wanted me to speak to him, and I phoned him and and spoke to him. What a wonderful gentleman. I just was, when I put the phone down, I just cried. I phoned him, and we had a long chat about golf and things like that, and he had such a lovely voice. I just wish I could have got on a plane and gone and visited him. It was so, so nice, and he's he's on hospice. He's going to die within the next probably two months. And so I've seen so many tragedies in my life with wars. You think of the wars and you think of the things that have happened, the earthquakes, the tsunamis, you can go on. And on the tsunami issue, who was the first plane there in Indonesia with water, blankets and food? America. America have always been the Samaritan of the world. And how many countries have not appreciated it? I mean, it's just unbelievable. But anyway, it's a very, very sad thing. We, everything shall pass. I think it's all going to. I'm praying it's all going to die down, and we just got to have great sympathy, and for the ones that have it, and particularly it's not in the ones that have it, but it's the family members that are affected. But this is life. This is, this is the life that we lead, and we've got it. It's the way we accept it and the way we handle it. And even you know when you rate, rate something. I've been a golf pro and I've heard golf pros complain about how unlucky they are and this and that and feeling sorry for themselves. And I've always said, you know, adversity is the, people with talking about luck on a golf course, for example, which is another subject now, it's not 90%, uh, what happens to you. It's 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. And, uh, One's got to be tough. One's got to accept things in life. It's not easy. We're we not always dealt the hand that we like. And this is where I believe, it's just my opinion, where faith, where faith is such a strong, strong thing, the thing that got me through, my mother dying, my father dying, my brother dying, my sister dying, my daughter with cancer, my granddaughter with cancer. In you know, a lot of this adversity in my family, and the best way I've got over it is by having strong faith
0: Gary, I cannot thank you enough for taking for taking the time to do this by the way, just so you know Vivian asked me to keep you on the phone as long as possible <laughs> uh, that's right <laughs> I, I can't thank you enough uh, Thank you for taking the time to do this. Um, tell me what memories are, Gary.
1: What memories are, yep. memories are the cushions of life.
0: I just love hearing you say that. Um,
1: thank you. Thank- <laughs> and the other thing is, you know, thank you for doing this interview. If it could just be encouraging, you know, love is the greatest word that exists. Love is God. And if we can just love is stronger than all the canons of the world. And thank you very much. God bless people that are struggling at the moment with this disease. God bless America, and God bless Augusta, and thank you uh, for being so considerate to think of people.